Is that Glock? Well, I'm tripping major nutsack right now. Oh, send it! Welcome to the world of winning. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Switchback Formula One podcast. My name is Graham and joining me, as always, it's it's the Grinch. It's Luke Holmes. Have I used that already? I wouldn't say yes, but I'm pretty sure you haven't in the same <laughs> in the same respect. You might have mentioned it at the end or during the podcast before because I'm sure I'm sure you have. I'm sure you have. I am not a Grinch, by the way. Mm-hmm. I, I just hate Christmas songs being played early. <laughs> I, think that, I think that's what it is. How early is is early? It, before December is too early for me. Hmm. Same yeah. with Christmas trees. I've I've said this before. Fucking, I can't be doing with that shot. Ah, uh, see, last last weekend of November, man, gotta stick that up. It, it depends on your schedule, doesn't it? But mm. not normally the first week is what I allow, and then anything past that is is too late. <laughs> You're either way too early or just too uh, too late for it for me. You've got to be right in the sweet spot. <laughs> You're probably one of these people who put their tree up yesterday. Oh. I wouldn't have even put one up. I'm too lazy. <laughs> I really can't be honest with that kind of thing. So, uh, how was how was your Christmas? Ah, funny that. <laughs> <laughs> I assume it's going to be absolutely fantastic and the best Christmas I've ever had. Do you assume it, it already has been? Well, for everybody else, yes, but not for us yet. You're breaking the. You're, you're... I, I'm breaking it because I don't want to say it's going to be a good day and then it turned out to be shit. When I turn up, when I open my presents and I've got a load of socks, I'm going to be really pissed Listen, off. Listen, if, there, if there's anything I've learned this year, man, there's nothing wrong getting some socks for for Christmas. Yeah, but I don't need socks. I need boxers. See Nobody you. ever buys me pants ever. <laughs> well, that's that's see socks is one thing, but that's that's a that's a de- that's a delicate item that is that needs to be handled by yourself. Yes. If if I tell you what what kind of thing I like, then obviously a man thong is not kind of thing I want to be wearing, but if uh-huh. someone buys it me, I'll wear it. See, I stuck with socks because I often tell people I have well, I've tell two people I have like holes in my socks and they get mad at me and shame me. So I wouldn't be upset with a pair of socks for Christmas, not going to lie. In fact, I got some for my birthday. <laughs> it was, they were very good. I, I always get work socks for my birthday, but I never get normal socks. I don't think I've bought any socks in years. Yeah. I, I, I don't even wear socks that often, to be fair. <laughs> I don't like it. I can't stand it on right. my feet. Yeah, you're, you're one of these weirdos who uses their pedals with their bare feet. I'd never understood it, this. I, 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 my feet would slip. I don't know how you could... I would have to wear shoes. Yeah, they'd slip with the sweat on the feet. If you get nervous, no. like you tend to do for a, a race. No. My, my, <sighs> I would not have any control if I used socks. At all. I, think it's I can't a, feel it. I think it's ludicrous, but... Anywho... I, th- I think you should lick my pedals. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's what I want to do. Um... Well, we do, a, there's a tiny little bit of news, not a ton. We'll just go over for the sake of going over it. Uh, mostly Ferrari stuff, to be fair, since since you mentioned it beforehand. Uh, they have brought back one of their old sponsors, Santander. We were actually talking before the stream started about the the white part on the Ferraris versus when they didn't have it from like, so it's like 2018 onwards. 
Now, I'm going to be honest. I do like I do like the Santander Ferraris, but I also did love the first year without Santander again, which is 2018, the the pure red car before they went to the mass, which I'm not massive on. Oh, I like the motor cars, but saying that I like all Ferraris, so I can't really be too picky. Normally, like red and black is my favorite color scheme, but on a Ferrari, yeah. it just doesn't look as good. Like the 2015 Ferrari was 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 uh, had a bit of black on it, and the 2019 one as well. I just so much preferred red and white over that. But, yeah, but saying that, if if they decide to plaster all the car in red and white again, and they go with white. 18 inch alloys i'm not going to be happy <laughs> that like, will look like the worst car on the planet honestly like, like a Atari kind of thing with the white yeah but that works it did with that it does work with that <laughs> but red and like massive white wheels no not a chance gotta be black gotta be black and uh, the other bit of news that the uh, ferrari have announced is that uh, mick schumacher and antonio giovinazzi the departing uh from the f1 grid giovinazzi will split reserve duties next season so Giovinazzi for 12 races Schumacher for 11 uh, they say 12 races for Giovinazzi so as to be compatible with his Formula E calendar which he decided to move on and they say, Ferrari say they're very happy for him to do that because it will keep him because this is, the, this is the quote from Mattia Bonotto this, again this is on racefans.net uh his, uh, that's what's compatible with his Formula E calendar on which he has decided to move and on which we are very happy because that will that will somehow keep him trained. What is the quote? I think that's probably the probably the translation uh, error. I get because like, I'm sure that wasn't the word he meant to say. I I assume it means keep him up to date type yeah. thing with yeah. how things are going. But it's just one of those you know because English is hard for people, especially like, people people underrate this. English is ridiculously hard if it's not your native. I actually mean this. Like English is ridiculously hard if you if it's not your native language. Oh, it definitely is. The amount of people that I've spoke to that are English and struggle with it, like the basic terms and using they and their and all them, is it's not the easiest. So, it, it creates an interesting scenario because we might, you know, look tap on wood that you know there's nothing that would happen to Charlie Leclerc or Carlos Sainz that would mean that they could not drive, but. It could create this little interesting situation where you could have a situation where, you know, similar to Sakir in 2020, where, you know, junior driver gets the call up to the senior team, like we saw with Russell and Mercedes. Now, that will be an interesting one. Mm. And I'm sure Ferrari will be all over that like a rash. Could you imagine the PR? Oh, stop. It'd be unreal. Mick Schumacher, a Schumacher in a Ferrari. Mm -hmm. Now, we all know it's probably going to happen eventually if Mick is actually decent in a decent car and does well but it happening next season that would be that would be a storyline mm. and a half Netflix would be absolutely eating that one up and it'd be fine for Haas because they can just recall upon Pietro Fittipaldi to reserve and he reserved for them in two races for 2020 as well yeah or or just get someone better <laughs> he's okay but he's I grand. don't think he he, he, I don't think he's as good as what they could get. Mm. They could definitely attract someone better, i.e. Giovinazzi. Lol, lol, lol. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he'd, he'd throw his name into the hat for the for a reserve in Haas. That would, that would be a middle finger to Pietro, though, in the same vein, because he's not yeah, the but reserve it, it driver. Depends, 
Is Pietro a full time, or does he do any other series? I don't know. I think he's full time with them. Yeah, he doesn't do like IndyCar or anything like that, does he? So he, I think, yeah, no, he's full time in it. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to get your hopes up, but there's a story on motorsport.com from Jonathan Noble about uh, about Ferrari, and I'll just I'll just sprinkle in a quote from um, Mattia Bonotto. Uh, if I look at the 2022 car and the 2022 power unit, believe me, there is a lot of innovation in it. I think that the way that the entire engineering team has faced the new design, the new project, the 2022 regulations, which were a big discontinu- uh, discontinuity, was certainly uh, with a more open mind than before. I can measure myself. I can measure it. I can myself measure it by looking at the car itself, the way it's progressing, and certainly with the amount of innovation we put into it. Mm. Okay, Ferrari, this is when everybody turns upon the grid and you're at the back. <laughs> so I just, to, I just wanted to sprinkle that in since we're doing some Ferrari stuff. I, I saw a rumour on Twitter, right? It's, it's someone put, there's a rumour going around the paddock that two teams have found an insane like way to bend the rules compared to the other, 90, other, the other eight teams that haven't. So we could see a a similar situation to 2009 with the double with the uh, blown diffuser the three teams that got around that to start was what was Braun Williams uh, and Toyota yeah I think were the three to get on that and then when it was ruled legal everyone else jumped in look as long as that team one of the teams isn't Mercedes for something different it's just gonna be Mercedes isn't it it'd be like like Mercedes and Aston Martin just to piss me off (laughs) Oh God! Uh, other bit of news is that there's actually I just literally just saw this now was that uh, Christian Horner has uh, agreed a deal to uh, to stay with Red Bull's team principal until 2026. Hmm. So that's not surprising, but would he? Do you think he'd leave after that? I mean, I'm pretty sure Jean Todd left after Raikkonen won in 07. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He did. He did. Yeah. And so. did Ron Dennis leave before or after Lewis Hamilton's triumph in two thousand eight? After, because Whitmarsh was there for two thousand nine, I believe. So, I mean, so never, never. Stranger things have happened. <laughs> yeah, he's been. How long has he been in the sport now? Two thousand and five. Well, he was with, came in. Well, yeah, he, he was. Yeah, two thousand five was when Red Bull entered. I'm not sure if he was involved in any capacity before that, but. That's, that's 21 years, so that's, that's mad. Yeah, by the time that contract uh, concludes, uh, just so the, it, must be, it must have been like Ferrari PR day or something because they apparently they have a mid-February launch for their 2022 car, just to sprinkle Ooh. that in. Okay. Probably Valentine's Day or something. It's, it's kind of generally the, the time of year generally falls around. Yeah, that two-week period from then is when we sort of, sort of uh, from get this, the cars coming out. Um, but also says from the 16th to the 18th, so somewhere in there. So we're going to be on the 17th then. Yeah. F- bloody hell. I, you probably could probably hear it. There are lunatics just belting horns. It is a madness. Just... I hear a damn thing except your sweet, sweet uh, voice. Yeah, well, every, I, everyone else will flip in here, I can assure you. Right, let's... Is testing uh, back up to five days this year? Um, I assume it is with it being the new jet. I think there was some extra time allowed. I think we, yeah. I think we did cover this uh, uh, when it was announced. But when that was announced, I couldn't possibly tell you. It was a while I, it's ago, like quite a long time ago. Obviously, yeah. I'll get confirmed again later on. 
Yeah, I believe there is some extra time, but I'd have to, I'd have to confirm. I'd have to confirm Do that. now. <laughs> uh, let's move on to our uh, what we were what we teased last week, which is the our end of season F1 awards, because this is the last podcast before the uh, for the new year. So, what better way to end on uh, on this note? So we've got a few awards to go through. Um, it'll hit on most of the bigger topics of the of the season. Uh, so we'll just hop right in. I want to get this one out of the way because I'm fairly sure it's going to be a consensus. Usually this one would be left to the end, but I find the other, I just find the other one so much more interesting that I'd rather get this out of the way. It's the driver of the season or best driver. Uh, I mean, if you had to put some nominees, like obviously Max Verstappen, Lewis Hamilton, Lando Norris, Carlos Sainz, yes, Mazepin, I'm sure. Um, but I think I speak for both of us where we're fairly... We're in fair agreement that Max Verstappen was the driver of the season. Yeah, there's, there's no question about it. Most laps led, most wins, most poles. He, he's just absolutely dominated this season, and it's been an absolute farce, in my opinion, if they'd uh, not won the championship, which very nearly did happen. So I, I'm glad it turned out the way it did. And mm. we've been backing him since the season basically started off with Ripple on, on the pace, pretty much, haven't we? Yeah, well, if there was one man to back from that side, it would be him. Uh, 10 wins, 10 pole positions, 18 podiums. He had a majority uh, of the laps led, 652. I spent ages looking for that figure, and you wouldn't believe how long that took. Um, so I hope that's correct. That long, surely. It's been over Twitter for the last few weeks. Uh, and compared to Hamilton's 297 laps, and what, 57 of them of those came at Abu Dhabi? It was, he's got more laps led than the entire grid put together, apart yes. from himself. It's, it's bizarre. I do Absolutely wonder what insane. that number was before Brazil. Because you had Brazil, Qatar, Jeddah. And you take them three off of that, that's that's less than 100 laps. You know? That's that's mad. Isn't that mad to think about? I just thought, I just realised that now. Because yeah, he, 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 I bet that'd be 56 laps. 58? Something like that. And then... Qatar was like start lights the flag basically, yeah. And Brazil not as many, but just uh, what last it was a good 10, chunk 15, of it. towards the end, yeah. Um, maybe less so Brazil, but also Qatar, Jeddah, and and uh, and Abu Dhabi. Yeah, isn't that mad? That it would have to be. I just maybe shy of just over a hundred. I would say one hundred thirty, if oh, I had to guess. Yeah, it's uh, in that range for sure. Uh, six fastest laps for Verstappen as well. I think that tied him the most with Hamilton. And his average finish position was 1.84. He didn't finish third, did he, this season? No, every, every single race he finished, bar Hungary, he finished first or second. That is insane. And the, the two exceptions are obviously the, the DNFs in, in uh, Italy and Great Britain. Um, Baku. And Baku, of course. Yeah, sorry. I knew there was one in the war in there. But apart from Hungary, like everything else was first or second. That's mental. So, and then uh, and in three of them, I would have said he would have probably got a podium. So, yeah, that, that's mad. Oh, yeah, easily. Very easily. And yeah, like he led for the majority of, you know, after the races, he led for the majority of the standings in the championship. So ultimately, he, look, he, ultimately, we'll get to some mistakes. Uh, from other drivers, but he made fewer mistakes. The only real mistakes he really made was the Jeddah uh, qualifying, 
which I don't think had a massive impact on the race itself. No, given not. given how things went down. Yeah, definitely not. Um, there was some on the limit stuff, like uh, you could look at you could portion blame for Monza. However, you feel about Interlagos Turn Four, or if that's on him, if that's on the stewards more so to enforce what is correctly, you know, side by side running off tracks. But in terms of mistakes, where you know he's on his own and he's made an error, they were to an absolute minimum from Verstappen. He was very, very. Uh, I was, I was, I was going to say faultless. Not he was very close to faultless this season. That in a twenty-two race calendar season, that says an awful lot. Hell of a lot. Shows you for a guy that's, I, I would say so young, but he's he's twenty-five now. He, he's absolutely smashed it this season. And there's nobody else that even comes close, in my opinion, to his level of driving this season. Yeah, you've got him being over-aggressive at times, but with what's on the line, I think it's just, it just it warrants, the warrants the best driver of the season for me. It's actually even, he's actually 24, <laughs> so he's even younger Oh, he's 24? Yeah. Jesus Christ. So... Look, just to, again for uh, just obviously with just a word on Hamilton and look, he was very good towards the end of the season. I think Mercedes did a very good job uh, downplaying how competitive their car was in comparison to Red Bull. They played that narrative very very well. I think far too many people people buy into that narrative that Red Bull has convincingly the quickest car. Uh, not not a chance. Certain races, yes. Certain races, definitely not. Especially that last quarter of the season, there is no shot that Mercedes was not the quickest car. Yeah, I honestly believe from Monza onwards, barring yeah. the altitude stuff in Mexico, there it Which was has always been their weakness. Mm. Always. Uh, again, there was very close in places. Like obviously, you know, you throw it's a t- coin toss. You know, that's a driver's toss between you know Cota, for example. Uh, where either driver could have won it, and it, came, it was one of those races that came down to the driver. Yeah, that day, I believe. But most of the other ones, Mercedes certainly seemed to hold some sort of advantage. Russia, we never got to properly see. So you know, yeah, take and Belgium as well. Although Belgium came before Monza this year, did it not? It did. Yeah, and, and I think Max would have, with how how it worked out. I think Max would have run away with it, to be honest. Yeah, so I certainly think that they downplay that narrative very nicely from their point of view. But they always do that, though, don't they? Always. Oh, yeah, they're, they've always been quick. To, like, any time when Ferrari came close or, you know, where certain tracks that, you know, like they called Red Bull tracks, for example, back in the day, like Monaco, like 2018, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, you know, these kinds of things, they have always been good at playing down, even though they'll be, like, 70 or 90 points ahead. <laughs> like... Yeah, we're definitely not the quickest car as we've won an eighth constructors title in a row. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Uh, although I think probably that is more down to Bottas versus Perez more than. Yeah, but the the car definitely has a factor. You're not going to be. It's not. It's definitely worth a mention at least shortly. Oh yeah. So uh, yeah, definitely think from Monza onwards they seem to take a step ahead. And it was it was closer in some places than others, but yeah, I would think uh, I think I think people don't talk about that enough. But alas, mm. uh, so that's driving again. Just with Hamilton, like again, his mistakes came very costly at the beginning of the year. 
and he was gotten out of some of them. Absolutely bailed out of the one in Imola. Should have been a lot worse. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other ones in a segment coming up. Uh, but we both have Verstappen, a very deserving world champion, to take his first of, well, we'll, we'll see how many. Nine. Nine. <laughs> I'm going to look back in nine years' time, and if he's not won nine championships in a row, I'm going to be very disappointed with myself. So we're in firm agreement there. I believe this next one is where we're going to have some split opinion. It's the best of the rest. So looking outside of the top two, obviously it's been a season of Hamilton versus Verstappen. Obviously there's more to F1 than just those two drivers, as much as those two drivers added to the sport this year. There's a lot more going on outside of that. So who did you have as your best of the rest? I think we'll have the same driver, to be honest. I'm expecting a different one here, to be fair, but I'll be I'll be impressed if it is the same one. But shoot. Smooth operator. I don't have the smooth operator. You don't? No. If you've got Norris, I'm going to be very annoyed. I don't have Norris, but why don't you make your case for, um, a very credible case for Carlos Sainz? A driver who deserves more respect. He um, finished fifth in the con- in the Drivers' Championship, mm-hmm. outperformed a very highly rated teammate in Charles Leclerc, who is Ferrari's golden boy. He um, was, has got the most points finishes in a row, with mm-hmm. 15, I believe it is now. He, he He's moved to a new team completely, where I didn't think he'd settle in like he has. He's absolutely smashed it this season. I, I don't see how or where anybody else really slots into it. Which is where you sort of come in with whoever you've got. Look, I don't I don't disagree from the point of view that science is a driver that deserves a lot more respect and deserves to be moving to this upper echelon of drivers like your Norris's, like your Leclerc's. I've no doubt about it. He took four podiums by obviously convincingly the most on the team. Uh, he was very, very good. He's shown excellent racecraft as he has come through the field. He settled in brilliantly in this first season of Ferrari. He has done an absolutely smashing job, more than I think anyone could have expected heading in. But I do think the best of the rest was Charles Leclerc. And yeah. let me lay let me I let me lay out some of the some of the, the nuances to this. Um while he finished behind Science by four and a half points, he did beat Science in races fourteen to eight, and I qualified on thirteen to nine times. He had the team's two pole positions. Unlucky not to convert one of those to what would have been a surefire victory, where, where I'd assume, from Monaco. Obviously, yeah. his own mistake plays into that, but I was actually listening to uh, a, a podcast from The Race, and they talked about that, that Ferrari didn't notice that the damage was on the other side of the car. So, of course. A, a bit of negligence uh, from that point of view. And the, uh, the, that, the particular one, if you want to cite that yourself, the, uh, they, the one in question is... Um, it's the Your F1 2021 season verdict from the race. It's an hour 16 minutes long, but they went into it from there. So there's the case for that. Obviously, not only did he take that poll, he took the shock one in Baku a week later, which that no, was crazy. That which was. was even crazier than the rest that came before. Uh, what else? I have. Okay, so Science was lucky from the point of view that he had no mechanical issues he got to finish all 22 races whereas Leclerc got slammed with two DNFs including where he got absolutely T-boned by uh, Lance Stroll in Hungary yeah where uh, Carlos ended up picking up a podium so you know I ha- find it hard to imagine that Leclerc would have been outside the the top 
top five at the very least yeah. in that race. And as we've talked about, he should have really won in in Silverstone. Yeah, he definitely should have. Uh, add to that, he may have only had one podium, but he had six P4s, which I think people, again, I said this, said this before, he's become so underrated in, from that point of view that he could slide into all those P4s. I'd be hard, you'd be hard pressed to tell me where those P4s were. Whereas for another driver, like you'd be able to pick off those good results, pretty like someone like Alonso, you'd be able to pick off his better results. I would say pretty, pretty quickly. Whereas Leclerc, you'd be scratching your head. He finished fourth six times. Yeah. So he he should have probably got a podium in in Imola. To be honest, he was absolutely miles in front of everybody else. Oh yeah, absolutely. Like he, that red flag and, was the worst for him. Yeah, and Norris, I think, got lucky that that race. Very lucky to get a podium. So you kind of combine all those factors into account, and he only finished. And even even the last race where he was heading for, I think, fifth place, or well, well, six before Norris's puncture, shall we say? Because Norris was heading for that fifth place before his uh, a very late puncture. But uh, Ferrari bottled that strategy for him in the, in Abu Dhabi, and he would have been even closer if not ahead of Sainz. Had, oh, I definitely uh, would have. Had that, you know, had that not gone down. So you put all those factors together. Science had the rub of the green. Yes, he earned it. Yes, he went out there. But Leclerc was by far the more unlucky, I would say, of the two. And oh, yeah. I really think that Leclerc would be decently clear, certainly ahead of Science in the standings. More than likely, yes. But even still, I would still put Science at least level with him they both deserve to be in this conversation regardless because they've both done absolutely insane i would give like a 55 45 edge to leclerc in i'm, I'm going to say 52 48 it's close <laughs> it's, it's, it's so close because like you say it it's just ebbs and flows oh he did that you did that it, oh if you could told me this last year <laughs> the ferrari would be would have the best of the rest two drivers from giving out by yours, I would be I'd be laughing at you because yeah. uh, it's, it's not something I saw coming some people are going to feel pretty you know they're going to say well what about Lando Norris and look by rights Norris should have finished fifth two punctures in Qatar and Abu Dhabi have cost him a comfortable fifth place finish you would have to say uh, yeah on the podium multiple but, times you know uh Obviously, he was gunning for that win in Russia. That slipped away from him late on. But, uh, yes, yeah, some results got away from him, like in Qatar and Abu Dhabi late on. But uh, his form for the second half of the season did take, certainly after Russia, did seem to take a bit of a dive in conjunction with uh, Ferrari, you know, edging their superiority after that engine upgrade. Yeah, that was definitely a big vibe for him. McLaren sort of sliding and condoning themselves to fourth place in the constructors with only scoring four points in the triple header and Nor Norris did disappear for quite a lot of that whether that was down to the car or a bit of both of him just being a bit down after losing the victory mm. if he'd have been consistent and like just like sixth and seventh I think I would have put him as the best of the rest but obviously that that's not the case he was supreme in the first half of the season oh he was clear in the first half of the season he would have been even if Max had won the title, I still would have probably said Matt, uh, Lando as driver of the season 
and that that's saying something. Well, we were even saying that even at certain points, you know, after probably after Austria, where you know, outside Verstappen, there hasn't been anyone better than Norris. Yeah, yeah, not Norris was honestly absolutely unreal at the start of the season, absolutely unreal. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to make the case for Leclerc because when you put a little bit of context to it, I think he's been his it won't completely reflect in the standings, and obviously his teammate got a bit more shine, so to speak, but. Yeah, uh, you have. I have Leclerc. You have Science. Can't fit me. Have the two Ferrari drivers. Hashtag, my guys. <laughs> uh, next up, best race of the season. Now, Oof. I I looked through the the races on um, you know, on F one dot com, and as I scrolled through them, there's a lot. I I found it hard to choose. Certainly, when we get to worst race, I found it hard to choose. Because in reality, we had a lot of good races. There were some average ones. But what was your race of the season? Now, and once again, if you'd have told me this is the race that I'd have as one of my <laughs> favourites, I, I, I would have I think we're going the same laughed. direction. I think we're going the same direction. Are we going Le Baguette? Oh, you're going for the French Grand Prix. Okay. I'm going for France, yes. I enjoyed the French Grand Prix very much, and I was very shocked at that. Yeah, I think everyone was, because I think, hands down, it was the worst race on the 2018 and 19 calendars, possibly. By a country mile. And that includes Monaco. <laughs> yeah. And Monaco is normally, probably, it's just a snooze fest, unless someone crashes. Mm. So, for France to have it all, overtakes, constant battles... An insane fight and chase for the lead. The teammates working together to get the Mercedes. It was, it was great. And th there's plenty of other ones that were crazy good. Crazy good. Baku was good. Mm -hmm. But what did you have down? I have Russia. Yeah, that that was also in the conversation. The Russian Grand Definitely Prix. There. About that. The thing with this one is like there's about five or six races within one because you have the stuff beforehand you have like Verstappen and Bottas coming through the field you had like Alonso and Leclerc on hearts making their progress as well and then then when the rain hits you have a thousand different parameters and variables going on and everyone's race took a different turn you had Perez losing the podium Alonso fighting for a podium and losing it as he stayed out obviously Norris going for the win and he, between him and McLaren, messed it up, and you know they let that go. You had Verstappen somehow, you know, pitching very early on because he's like stuck in seventh or so, and then somehow rescuing a podium. Uh, you had Sainz, you know, you know he was leading the race at the start of this one, and then he dropped off, and then he came back. So you had so many different races, and even Valtteri Bottas, who deserved absolutely nothing from the Russian Grand Prix, somehow managed to salvage fifth place. I just, he's had so many different races within one. And obviously, look, late drama with the rain always, you know, it, it threw up an absolute shock factor. No one saw it coming and how quickly it changed as well. That's the thing. Like, it wasn't just, it went from, well, gamble us, stay out, to, holy shit, we have made a monumental error. And obviously, Norris nearly, well, did crash, uh, technically. But, uh, like the two Aston Martins came together as well. They came very, they came very very close to taking each other out. He's had so many different races within, and it was so hard to keep up. Like I think this is a race that you don't really appreciate unless you have like, 
you're able to go back and watch it and see the positions rise and fall. You have F1 TV, you can look at how races unfold on the radio. There's so many different storylines from that one race. And even yes, even though it was a race that Hamilton won uh, with experience edging, edging out youth, I just really enjoyed it from uh, just from that point of view. Just so many different things going on. The, the nature of the drama itself with the rain coming in late in the race. I just, yeah, I, I really loved it for that reason. Yeah, it was one of, in fact, it's probably going to be, uh, and it's going to be remembered as an absolute classic. It, it's very similar to Hockenheim a couple of years ago, where the rain just absolutely causes chaos and throws everything on its head. It, it was so fun to watch. I uh, really that it, just the the battle for the lead just sort of put France just ahead of it for me, but the rain and everything else and people being out of position, definitely, definitely a great race. I think the only thing that separates this from like the race of the season is the fact that it was it that Norris wasn't able to finish the job. Uh, if Norris had finished the job, I'd have been an easy, easy job, easy, easy pick. Yeah, I think so too. I still have it as the best one, but like again, there's so many ones. Like you had the Italian Grand Prix, you know, you had the like, one I, of my favorites. That was boring though. Italian, I I liked it for the sense of the the drama. Yeah, I, I would have said Imola was better than the Italian Grand Prix, but you had that. You had the that. US Grand Prix. You had the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. You know, I actually really liked the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix. Oh, yeah, so did I. So did I. Uh, you had the tension of, you know, obviously Hungary with Ocon's first win. You had the drama of the British Grand Prix. You had the Spanish Grand Prix, which is surprisingly good. Yeah. So yeah. I, that was, I was just going to say Spain was, Spain was very, very good. And Bahrain was entertaining enough as well on the opening, opening round. Like, you could look in countless places and you find really good races. So here's a more, I, I found it more of a challenge to find the worst race of the season. Yeah. No, I I didn't find it hard. No, because my answer was very instant. But as an actual race, I struggled. Yeah, see, I'm not counting the 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 Belgian non pre. Yeah, that that would have been my answer. But based on an actual race, I'm going to say Portugal. Yeah, I have the same. Because it was pants. Yeah. <laughs> and I I liked the Portuguese Grand Prix the year before. I thought it was really really good. But this year. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, like a few contenders, like Qatar was, eh, it was, it was okay. It was, it better. was better than expected, Qatar mm-hmm. was, way better. Uh, I think if things had, got, had, had unfolded the way they originally were, Abu Dhabi was going to be the, probably up there for the worst of the season, just in terms of the action itself was very little, and it would have been very anticlimactic for such an awesome title fight. Yeah, yeah, 100%. But uh, lap 50... Eight happened, and you know the gods had spoken. And I feel pretty comfortable that uh, that the uh, Portuguese Grand Prix, yeah, was the uh, was the worst one. Yeah. So, and I and I've literally I have nothing else to say about it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's that bad. I can't really remember it apart from Lewis overtaking Max, and that that was about it. And Kimmy driving into the back of Gio mm. on the pit on the pit straight. Yeah, it was a race. I think Hamilton won by over thirty seconds in the end, as yeah. uh, Verstappen pitted for a fastest lap. Yeah, uh, so, it old, it? yeah. Let's move on. Uh, best one-off performance of the season. Now, uh, this is different. There's an award coming up called Shocking Moment. I try to differentiate the two. So if I don't have one here, 
then it's probably in shocking moments. These are race-related. Yeah. Uh, there's a few who go in this direction. Uh, what did you have for best one-off performance of the season? We might have the same one here. Alonso and Qatar. Really? Yeah. One-off? I, 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 yeah. El Pan. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, I Honestly, if there was one thing... After, after the first half of the season and seeing Alonso back in the grid and seeing him do his thing and being an absolute beast in Hungary, I was like, it's going to be a crime if he doesn't get a podium. And I know it was sort of gifted to him, but he had to be there. And Alpine have been very up and down all season. And that weekend, their car was brilliant. And Alonso absolutely smashed it for me. It was a really solid drive. I just, from the point of view, I just thought it was the performance Alonso will showed he was capable of for most of the season, just needed the luck, yeah. the competitiveness. So that's why I'm, I was that's why I was surprised when you when you had Which it. is why I, I said he it's down to the driver to get that podium there, to be honest. It, mm. I, like if you give that same opportunity to Ocon, he doesn't get the podium. Well just it just doesn't happen. My best one off performance is actually his teammate, which is Esteban Ocon's race win in Hungary. I disagree. A high, obviously the season high for Ocon in what was a fairly, fairly average uh, season, yeah, for the most part. But I did think he drove very, very well this day, especially from the point of view that he had Vettel on the back of him from a lot of the second half of the race and knowing in the back of his mind that Hamilton was coming through the field. I think he, given the circumstance, given that was his first race win on the line, you had someone who's done it 50 odd times behind him with four world championships. In what was a quicker car on the day was the Aston Martin. I don't have any. Yeah, no, not even a chance. If that's any other track, mm-hmm. that'll breeze us past. Well, arguably, it's maybe not because there's a. We'll reference Aston Martin later, but there's a piece that talked about Aston Martin, how their best performances came on uh, kind of higher downforce tracks, Hungary being. Prime amongst right, them, and yeah. so. But I just think I know. I know. I said Ocon had a better race in in Jeddah, but I just think with the obviously for the race win, I did think Ocon elevated himself to a level at that time. I didn't think was quite possible given how we'd seen his season kind of unravel a bit. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Um, yeah. I had a couple others in the mix here, like Nicholas Latifi in Hungary, for example. Drove very well yeah. that day. Stellar uh, drive. Did not, has not done a lot since. Well, actually he did. But... <laughs> well, uh, yeah, in terms of his own results. <laughs> uh, I had a Mick Schumacher as well in Portugal. It was a yeah, long, no, long that, ass time ago. was there for me. So, these were a few of them, but kind of to move into shocking moment... Um, I had George Russell's P2 qualifying in Belgium. That that was the second one I had. That was the biggest shock because I just, I, I remember being I was at my brother's house. I was in, wasn't able to wasn't wasn't able to be at home and watch it live, but I was kind of keeping an eye on inside because they had it on. Uh, I was just busy socialising, and then just popped back just to have a look, and I see this Williams pull up to the P2 pit mark. I'm thinking, holy shit! What on earth? You could I had to I, I could not leave until I knew what on earth was happening, 
and Russell had gone and stuck it on P2 in, in the wet in, in Belgium at Williams, which was, I'm going to say, it, the ninth quickest car this season, stuck it on P2 ahead of Lewis Hamilton, ahead of all the big names that you know, in a Williams was just, yeah, just that was such a shock. Yeah, and that's where George's season peaked. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I, I have Abu Dhabi down last lap. I, I don't. I don't see how that that the way I reacted to that whole scenario, it it just absolutely blew my mind. I have never gone crazy like that ever mm. watching Formula One, and just in a pure adrenaline rush that that race gave me, it, it just had to be. The most shocking moment for me. Yeah, definitely fair. That was certainly, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, the the Russell lap though, holy shit! It was definitely up there for one of the laps of the season. Oh, if not the lap of the season. Uh, In context. Yes. Yeah, I was just trying to think of any other laps that really came close to it. It was the only one that really sprung to mind was if Max had finished the one in Saudi mm. or Leclerc at Baku. Yeah, that was a stunning one as well. Yeah. Um, so those are shocking moments. Again, there's been a lot. There's, look, I mean, there's a shit. There's an absolute shit ton because this season's been insane. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you had this one. Additions that we both liked on the season. These could come from anywhere, really. I imagine you've one in mind, but. Yeah. I, th- I think we're going to have the same answer here. I have a backup answer, but I'm pretty sure I know what this one's going to be. My, mine's definitely the FI radio. Yes. 100%. I've absolutely loved that feature. As much as it's been bickering and mar- be people being Marty, it has given me the absolute classic line that I'm forever going to remember of, uh, Michael, please, no, Michael. <laughs> that I absolutely adore. absolutely adore that line from Toto Wolf. It, it's just been a great, a great little insight to how things work behind the scenes that you don't normally get to see. And I, I absolutely love it. It's fitting, isn't it? Like it started with Toto Wolf and ended with Toto Wolf. Yeah, it, yeah. All the way back from its introduction in Spain when they're trying to get Mazepin out of the way of Hamilton. Which, by the way, can we, he wasn't even a second behind Mazepin when he was clamoring over the radio for him to move out of the way. Which is the outrageous yeah. part. Because, like, I know we like, like to rag on Mazepin, but like he's man the rules are you'd be the, like second or 1.2. Like, he was... He, yeah, he was nowhere near. Nowhere near at the time they started... Complaining, so he's he's going to cost us the win. I would like a few more inclusions next season from teams that aren't Red Bull and Mercedes, and I'm sure we will. We did see a few from like McLaren, Ferrari, uh, were a couple. So you know, if, but these were like a few in the sea that was Red Bull and Mercedes, and I guess why those ones were played above the other ones. But yeah, that definitely widen it a little bit, but I'm, I'm sure they will. Mm. Uh, another another one that I liked. Another one uh, did did the Aston Martin Aston Martin safety car was new this year, was it not? It was, yeah. So I liked that. That was a nice introduction. Nice, nice to mix it up from the uh, the uh, Mercedes, which of course was uh, was red as well at times this year. For <laughs> well, actually, it was red for all this year, was it not? After the one off red in uh, Magello last season. Yeah, it's uh, been red the entire time. Uh, for this season, yeah, uh, I actually really liked Saudi Arabia as a track on the calendar. I don't want to get into the whole human rights stuff that we, we, we race as one. Obviously that is a part of a larger issue in F1, but in terms of 
I had no expectations for that track as the second the second uh, last race in what has been an extremely intense rivalry. I thought Jeddah had absolutely no place to be where arguably the title could be decided that day. On the contrary, when we actually got into it, that was a brilliant, brilliant race with drama, with high tension. The track actually allowed for that to be, you know, for that to be the case. There's lots of overtaking opportunities for with uh, a fair few cars, including the leaders that we saw. The nature of turn one lends to a dive bomb, which we saw lots of, which, you know, generated a lot of buzz and excitement. And yes, you could argue it went too far, but I thought for the most part, the track itself lent itself to some really intense action at a really intense time of the year. I just thought that it was so much better than I think anyone could have expected once. Look, we were wondering if we'd ever even get there at all. Yeah, I, I was banging that drum for a while that it wasn't even going to be complete. But it, it did surprise me a hell of a lot how actually good, just even watching qualifying, hmm. the, the car, just watching Max absolutely sling it through in on his uh, lab that he binned it, it was absolutely insane to watch. And then the actual race itself was actually really, really good. So I, I, I'm I'm on board with that one. Yeah, uh, obviously be round two next next season but yeah i'm not i'm not i don't know if that'll work as well but it'll still be an interesting one no doubt like i look back at the calendar and i think every race added something really and i look yeah, at i look at qatar and i thought what did this add as the third last race of the season to to f1 all it really added was the potential for the title to be on level points if hamilton won and took fastest lap in Jeddah, which he did but I felt like Qatar served very little other purpose as a, you know, one of the last few yeah. rounds of the title. You know, I, I just, you know, it was night, like no, no pun intended, given the races. It was night and day between Qatar and Saudi Arabia in terms of, in terms of, you know, races that were, you know, very, very close to the end of the of the calendar in an intense yeah. title fight. I don't know. Just Qatar added very, very little. Yeah, you, it wasn't the best. But with it being so last minute, I can't really say much more about it. Yeah, well, I would have left it off entirely, but yeah. alas. <laughs> um, biggest blunder of the season. Now, lots of drivers and lots of teams made big mistakes. You could argue, you know, there's a few that you could list here, and I will list some. But um, I think we're going to have the same answer again here because this mistake earlier in the season proved extremely extremely costly arguably arguably are underrated the title defining moment of the season well i definitely don't have the same answer as you then because mine was more of a funny one but oh, if okay. you're going to say the absolute blunder in imola which is where i think you're going with that uh same driver no it is lewis hamilton's break magic error at baku Oh, yes, yes. That would have absolutely changed things to the max because he was on track and probably would have easily pissed it to the line because there's no way Perez gets back past him, I don't think. No. he was Perez was stuck behind him for quite a while. Oh, no, Perez was in front of him, in fact, sorry. Yeah, Perez, was, was, in front of, uh, Perez was in front of Hamilton, but at the restart, Hamilton from second got the jump on Perez. It was a done deal, heading to turn one. All he had to do was make the corner, turn left, and that was likely going to be it for the rest of the race. 25 points gain over Verstappen as opposed to losing uh, 
Camaro was ten and, or eleven, given on depending on fastest lap. Yeah, and, I'm sure they would have put him and made, made it. Yeah, and lo, like he accidentally knocks on, off, and then knocks it back on again. The brake magic, uh, which caught him to lock up into turn one, sail through as the rest of the field just continued to uh, <laughs> turn left for the the rest of the uh, the rest of the track and. No points for Hamilton or Verstappen that day, but obviously you talk about defining moments in championships. Come that come down to driver error. I don't think there's any bigger than that. Oh, one hundred percent. That's that's absolutely crucial because if Hamilton had them twenty five points, I'd have been absolutely insane. But no, unfortunately, he he bottled it, and that's the first proper big mistake I remember Lewis doing apart from Imola, really, in the last couple of years. It was it was pretty pretty well it was extremely costly given that he lost the title by what eight points in the end yeah yeah so but plenty of other contenders I I'm I know which I think you're gonna I think I think I know which one you're gonna reference but uh... mine is also the same car so but not not is not the same driver I have uh, Bottas's pit stop blunder in Monaco oh interesting yes that that to me was just hilarious. The longest pit stop ever in Formula One. <laughs> it's just pure Bottas bad luck. It was insanely terrible and funny at the same time. A pit stop that started on Sunday and I don't think finished until Wednesday Thursday? or Thursday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> crazy. Absolutely crazy. I've never known them not be able to get the wheel nut off. Ever. To the point where they had to angle grind it off. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, obviously the the shame for Bottas was he was convincingly better than Hamilton all weekend. Yeah, Hamilton was having a terrible weekend. He was down in seventh in most of the, for most of the race. Obviously, they lost out to Vettel in the uh, in the pits as well. Who overcut him? Yeah, bizarre. <laughs> More things. Yeah. In this modern era of F one, it's it's you know with with you know it was un- overcutting was not too uncommon of a practice when like refueling and the such was 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 going on, but yeah. Certainly in this era, certainly uh, it does not it does not happen often at all. It only really happens when like you're a convincingly quicker car behind a slower go. car, and you just go long. We saw this with Bottas a number of times this season. Yeah, and uh, it worked sometimes. Um, <laughs> some other ones here, obviously Hamilton, Imola being uh, kind of slipping, tripping up over Russell's lapped car, essentially heading into a very clumsy. Uh, Recovery from the barrier from there, kind of try to swing it and damage his wing. Uh, he was there for a good minute, I think, is sat at that hairpin. Yeah, trying to. It was a hell of a long time. He got lapped in the process of it, so just squiggle his way around. Uh, I had initially Norris's Russia error. I feel yeah, that's been probably a bit harsh. It's harsh. Yeah, there's one that definitely. Well, there's two from the same mm. race that sort of stick out for me in front of that one. Well, Perez, certainly. I think they definitely messed that one up. Um, Bottas wow. bowling, I think, is a good runner-up, I think, in Hungary. Yeah, and Stroll just being an absolute bell end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Them two are definitely in the conversation, isn't it? <laughs> the, 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 the amount of times I've seen the Bottas bowling clip the last few weeks <laughs> of how different things could have been. And how e- much easier it would have been if it, if that hadn't happened. You couldn't script it though, could you? Like you couldn't. You, no. Like you really couldn't if you tried. You know, obviously to take out essentially both Red Bulls. Obviously Verstappen 
somehow managed to, they kept him in the race. Perez, of course, they was ruined and his engine half was consequently ruined as well. So. Yeah, he's one of the craziest moments of the season, though, to be honest. Just. But it's definitely the biggest crash of all season. Well, probably not, actually. <laughs> Was it not? Are you forgetting a very. Uh, very well, I mean, in terms of the amount of cars, I mean, <laughs> not oh, in yeah. one incident, yeah. Not, not even close to her. That amount of cars have been taken out in the same incident in the last. <laughs> Years for sure. So he made, yes, the other one definitely he hit, more. He hit, he hit Norris, which and then speared into Perez and Verstappen. Um, Ricardo was caught with the clerk and Norris, or sorry, the clerk and Stroll. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what, what, what a shambles that race was at the start. Yeah. Oh dear. Uh, any other any other honorable mentions? Uh. Oh, Mazepin binning it within four turns. That that was quite funny. Oh, uh, Bahrain? Uh, yes. Like, coming out of turn The, the one three? where he should have bet. Yeah. Yeah, anyone should have bet Mazepin first retirement of the season. Yeah. Doesn't even get a three corners. <laughs> uh, heartbreaking moment of the season. There's a few different ones for this. I think everyone has... I think a lot of people feel the same way about this one, but what did you have as the... A season's biggest heartbreak. Uh, Leclerc being robbed for me, but that's probably just because of me being the Ferrari, the Ferrari G that I am. This is this uh, at Silverstone. Yeah, yeah. I thought he deserved that that win, and it was overdue, I think. And uh, someone who didn't even deserve to be in the top ten, let alone in the race, ended up taking the win. So I felt like it was. He got robbed. I actually did have this one as well as my heartbreaking moment of the season. Leclerc, obviously, it was very late on when he when Hamilton overtook him. Um, the more I think about it, the more I listen to the race talk about it, I actually think Leclerc not being able to start his home race from pole position in Monaco as a heartbreaking moment because it's just a chance you... Look, nothing is guaranteed in F1. Like, Fernando Alonso won the 2006 World Championship. Not a single person in the world who followed F1 would have bet that that probably was his last world title. Yeah. It's, F1 is just so unpredictable that you never quite know when your moment is and if you'll get it again. And Leclerc, you know, possibly winning his home Grand Prix in Monaco, which is not like any other track from a couple of different perspectives in terms of the glamour, but also how difficult it is to actually overtake and to execute a race at Monaco. Obviously, nail it on the Saturday. I just think him not being able to take that start due to, you know, what can be described maybe as negligence from Ferrari's side of things. I don't know, like, if if he gets another chance to do it again, then, you know, that this can, this can, we can, we can, we can, I would say laugh, but, you know, we can, we can, cast this one aside and like he got to do it eventually uh but you just don't know like is it going to be competitive know. at the same time will he get another chance to do it on a saturday will, could, will he have an engine issue in the rate like so a thousand variables between if you'll ever have this chance to do it again for him not to be able to like forget even to you know however the race would have unfolded obviously i would have probably believed that 
the Red Bull, well, the Red Bull definitely would have been a quicker car, I'm sure, in race trim. Definitely in race trim, 100%. But whether Verstappen could actually have overtaken Leclerc is another story entirely. Whereas you know, when you start on Polo Monaco, as long as you get down to Sandovosh in first, you have a very good chance to win that race. But we yeah. never even got to find out because he, he wasn't even able to take the start. Yeah, and now you said it, it's definitely in that, in that top two for me, 100%. The, the common one people have is Lando Norris missing out on victory in Russia. But Yeah, that, that one was mentioned quite a lot from when I spoke to my friends about it. Hmm. Which, I yeah, is fair, I definitely think as well. But yeah, I just he, think... He drove an absolute stellar race that week. He did, race. and he deserved to win it. But, well, he deserved to win it right until the rain came, where both he and McLaren misjudged the situation. And... You know, sadly, you know, sadly lost it. And I think every F one, every great F one driver, I think, has had some, has had some victory that would have been their first victory that gets away from them. Leclerc, Bahrain, Kimi Räikkönen in France, two thousand and two. Yeah. You know, and you could, you, and look, you could go on and on and on and on. You know, uh, there is a. I'm, I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure Mark Webber had a few as well that got away from him before he finally broke his broke his duck uh, button. button definitely did 100% so a lot of the greats go through like even George even more recently George Russell obviously went through that as well yeah in, in one of the most dramatic circumstances of all time so I, I think you know not it will hurt less when Norris eventually takes that first victory which I think is a matter of when if. rather than if you yeah, think if? just just going off what you've just said is is an if. I I think he will win, but it's in F one. It's an if at this point. You never know mm. with with all these new gen cars. I I can't say for sure. So yes, it was disappointing not to see him win, but yeah, I I feel more for Leclerc and the fact that he features on this list twice <laughs> as well. Yeah, yeah. Um. I didn't feel a ton of sympathy for Vettel just being disqualified in Hungary. I did, I did because he'd actually drove a decent race, but it was more just Aston being idiots that, and the car not working correctly that cost him. And I, I have some sympathy for Lewis Hamilton on the F1 title finale, not a ton. Cause he's yeah, won, yeah, definitely. Because he's won seven of the things already. Yeah. So, if it was the first, probably. But he already lost the first title, a pretty gut-wrenching way in 2007 and to someone else's gut wrench one in 2008 so I feel like things yeah. have evened out a bit what goes around what goes around comes around eventually doesn't it so so yeah I have Charlie Leclerc there yeah best non-race winning driver we've spent a lot of time talking about great race wins what was the best drive that didn't result in the Grand Prix victory <laughs> I'm definitely not a Ferrari fanboy. <laughs> Leclerc at Imola for me before the safety car, if if and, and before the red flag. Sorry, Leclerc. If he hadn't have got if that red flag hadn't happened, then he definitely would have got this for me. But I'm going to say Alonso at Hungary, just based on the defending ability that that man put out. It was absolutely insane, and it was just levels above anything else I've seen apart from Perez on the last last race I think that race really should serve as a as a I guess a 
a yardstick to kind of compare wheel-to-wheel racing. Like, it was just for two titans of F1. It was so, so clean. Yeah, there, there was never any moment where I was like, right, they're crashing here. Like I've, I've felt with Max and Lewis when they've gone toe-to-toe. Yeah. But I was like, Alonso is hard, but he knows the line. He's always been like that. And mm-hmm. I think he pushed Lewis in all the right directions. Lewis complained a little. There, there's a few moments here and there, but at the end of the day, it's a tight track. And it was absolutely insane to watch. What was it like 10, 11 laps of just pure mm-hmm. insane battling? Oh, it's, it is absolutely unreal. Again, and, and that for me just absolutely puts it levels above. Against a car that is what, 1.2, 1.5 seconds quicker a lap? Yeah, on fresh tyres. Fresh yeah. tyres, yeah. <laughs> Nobody else would have been able to keep him behind like, like Alonso did. And I'm sure Alonso was like, yeah, no, you're not getting past. Don't even try it. <laughs> but also doing so without obviously like crossing a line. Like like every F one driver is stubborn to a degree. They don't want to give up, so to speak. Well you wouldn't do, would you? I won't no, I won't go to my work and try and give something up to make someone else's life easy. Stuff that No, absolutely. But even like some people would be like like Verstappen is a great racing driver, but he is a very stubborn racing driver in the same way. And that's why a lot of people like him in some ways, is that he just does not give two shits whether he goes over yeah. lines or not. Whereas Alonso is loved because of the pure talent he has and knowing the limits and working in within the limits. And also a constant strive to find said limits. Like you'll always, again, like you say, you'll kind of push the boundary, push an envelope. Like Russia, for example, turn, turn two. He knew he could get away with that. It. Like, Absolutely spent it. That was measured the entire way. He knew before he was going down to turn to turn two that that was likely, you know, if the situation called for it, he would go across. He knows yeah. the rules. He find, he spends a lot of time, you know, talking about the rules, you know, finding the limit, looking at other examples. He, he'll find any little loophole or advantage that he can, that he can use to win whatever battle he's he's in. Whether it's for 15th or for 1st, Alonso will do that no matter what. Yeah. Uh, one of the many reasons why I just absolutely love the chap. But he is not on my best non-race winning drive, although certainly mm-hmm. he helped Espen Ocon win that race. <laughs> what do you have then? I, uh, I'm going to be called Charles Leclerc fanboy number one because I have Leclerc at Silverstone. Yeah. A race yeah, where, yeah, Verstappen and Hamilton tripped over each other. Hamilton had to come in and serve the penalty at the pits. Again, if it was a 10 second stop go, I think it's a different it's a different story. But yeah, it, it, was, it was just a 10 second his pits, which you know, is nothing for someone of that, of that caliber in that car. But I thought Leclerc measured it a lot of the way. He, I think his pace was genuinely up there with, with Hamilton in that first stint. And then on the hards, kind of the Mercedes had a bit more of an advantage, as they seem to have had done on harder tyres compared to softer tyres this this season. Yeah, even against the Red Bull, they seemed to be swing to uh, swing that way. And there wasn't look a race where look the the pieces you'd expect to be picked off like like Norris and like Perez and Bottas, they weren't anywhere near to capitalise on a Ferrari, which I think was convincingly fourth quickest car at that time. 
No, it definitely was. McLaren was well clear. Mm-hmm. Well clear. And drove his absolute heart out, as he had done at Silverstone the year before, where he got the 2020 Ferrari to a podium <laughs> somehow. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just thought he that if any race deserved a race win, it was it was that one. And yeah, it's not talked about enough. It's not given enough credit, especially with the Norris stuff that's like obviously with Russia. Uh, but I, yeah, I honestly thought that was a. He did everything to deserve the race win that day. It would have been very. It, I'm trying to think if it would probably Monza 2019 would be his greatest F1 win with Charles Leclerc. But that if he had won that British Grand Prix, that would have been right up there. Yeah, it would have been in front of it for me. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Just because he was a little bit dirty in Monza, that's the only reason. Yeah, I think if that if. If he were to do in Monza today what he did in 2019, he probably gets a five-second penalty for yeah, it. Yeah, he definitely gets a five-second penalty, 100%. So, yeah, that's a fair point. But, yeah, Charles Leclerc at Silverstone, I thought, was absolutely brilliant, brilliant drive. Deserved more from us, but sadly, sadly not for, for him and his only podium mm. this season, which is a crime in many other regards, but alas, we've discussed it. Yeah, we, do, we definitely need to rename ourselves the Charles Leclerc fanboy podcast. <laughs> yeah, I'm down. <laughs> um, there's other good race non-race winning drives like obviously Perez puts himself in a good con- contest in Abu Dhabi for his shift there Norris at Russia of course deserves a lot of credit as well uh, obviously Ricardo in the sprint for me in, in Italy yeah he really read that um, you can also have Valtteri Bottas has come back through Italy yeah and I don't, technically, if you're, if you're talking about sprint races, then you'd put Lewis Hamilton's uh, sprint drive yeah. at Brazil. In Brazil. Not not even a question that that gets in there. Unreal drive. So, can we actually, before we move on, can we clear this narrative that, because the narrative that goes out there is that Hamilton won from last in Brazil, when that is absolutely... Completely irrelevant not, and wrong. Is not the case. He had two races... To make the ground up, it's yeah. it's like it's, 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 it's just Team LH taking things out of context as they always do. Like to say he won the race from the back of Brazil is literally incorrect. Yeah, he it's, made up twenty five. He made twenty or so places up between the race. Yeah, two races, but he started the Brazilian Grand Prix what eleventh, tenth, eleventh, eleventh with the five place. Uh, grid penalty, but he was up to the second or third by the end of lap five, for God's sake. Yeah, he did not win the race from the back. I just that, that needs clearing up. He went through the field to you know to do it as part of the weekend, but two different race starts, two races, ninety something in, or so laps in a car that was at least a second quicker than everybody else. You know, he made some good overtakes. Like again, he made some ballsy ones on like Norris and the clerk, where if they closed the door, you know, it's a it's a collision, but you know Hamilton sent that sent his car there. That's grand. He made through, his way through the field. That's grand. You know it was a great drive. But again, he did not win the race from the back of the grid. That's just yeah, <laughs> that that bugs the show me because it is literally incorrect. But, yeah, I know exactly. What you mean. Alas, uh, biggest surprise of the season. I have a number of them down here. Uh, the, the main one that stuck, sticks out for me has got to be Monza, with McLaren securing the only 1-2 of the season. Yeah, that was top of my list as well. I, if you'd have told me at the start of the season, the only 1-2 we see is McLaren. 
Yeah. Yeah. Would have not in the car in in the area where it's just been Mercedes and Red Bull domination since 2019. Is yeah, I'd have just laughed. Yeah, like you, again, you could even narrow that further down. It's like McLaren winning a race. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But the fact that they they scored their seasons only one two of the season. Now look again, Baku was likely to be that way, but ultimately it wasn't. So. You know, only one two of the season for McLaren. Uh, there's so many different ways you could go with this as well. Like Espan Ocon winning a race, Alpine slash Renault winning a race. That would have been a big Definitely shock. Because they were, yeah. of course, they were behind McLaren last season as well. Uh, you had, I guess, I guess another surprise is that the fight, the one that I have here is like, the fact the title fight lasted the entire season. That yeah. we arrived in Bahrain thinking this could be Hamilton versus Verstappen. And then 22 rounds later, they're tied on points heading into the yeah. last round. You couldn't write it. You could not write it. Like, generally speaking, title, you know, eventually one falls by the wayside. We saw it in 2017 and 2018 with Ferrari. Uh, obviously, we saw it with Rosberg in 2015, uh, you know, 2012. Well, it was a title for now, to be fair. But, you know, Jensen Button to an extent in 2010. Like, drivers just fall away but the fact we saw this continue the entire way with the two cars tightly contested as they were by the way yeah i just i thought that was like heading into the season that if you told me that i'm not sure i would have believed you or i would have been surprised that we got a title finale because it had been since 2016 since we had one so yeah i've not seen that one coming uh another another surprise like the fact we got a new champion Obviously, on yeah. the way it came about was a was a surprise. It definitely was. Um, another, probably one of the, the runner-up for me probably was the fact we got thirteen drivers on the podium this season. Thirteen. Yeah, that that one is insane. Or sorry, maybe it's even fourteen. Hold it on. might be with El Plan being on the podium in Qatar. Because um, it's the first twelve. Sorry, it is thirteen. Because it's the first twelve rounds of the championship, then Russell. Yeah. Which, you know, again, I mean, technically got a podium, but... Uh, classes of race, so podium. From Verstappen to Hamilton to Bottas to Perez, Sainz, Norris, Leclerc, Ricardo, Gasly, Alonso, Ocon and Vettel, and then Russell. Yeah, and we could have had Sonoda up there if he'd have managed to squeeze past in Abu Dhabi on Sainz on the last lap. Mm. Which is very close to doing, by the way. So, if you told me that, that 13 different drivers would be on the podium this season, I wouldn't have believed you. Because we're just used to this competitive balance where if it's not Mercedes 1-2 or Mercedes 1-3, there's a Red Bull in between. And if somehow it's not either of those, maybe in the past it was a Ferrari. Possibly, you know, in the past, you know, a Force India of Perez. You know, generally speaking, and even rarer than that, maybe a Williams, you know, like Stroll or whatever, you know. Now, now, 2020 saw a, a bit more of a mixed-up grid. Obviously, like Ferrari getting the podium, Renault uh, racing points. But to have as many different teams and drivers, half of the grid was on the podium at some stage. Yeah, which is absolutely insane. So that was a big surprise. The competitive balance of the field. Yes, the top two teams were quite a little ways in front, but... Never so far in front that if chaos ensued, other teams weren't able to pick up on, you know, 
pick up on it and those teams couldn't just drive through the back through the field to get back onto those podium places like they you know would have in the past for example like a Rosberg in Malaysia 2016 where he's punted round at the start and you know has to spend the rest of the race coming back through if that happened this year I don't think he gets back to the podium because the competitive balance has been so much tighter than it has been from the top compared to the rest of the midfield yeah it just shows you how much these cars have been pushed to the max Mm -hmm. in development terms so, any other surprises uh, jump out to you? Uh, not ones I can think of off the top of my head. Ferrari getting back to best of the rest? We'll get to that. Okay. <laughs> um, most improved driver of the season? I struggled with this. I, I could not put it down to a single driver. I imagine you're split between two ways. So, I have Norris, Mm -hmm. just based on the fact he seemed to... He was good, but I think he took the leap up to great this season. Yeah. But if he'd have done it all the way through the season, then it would have been no question. But then I'm like, who else really did anything? Because then I was like, well, Max surely is in the conversation because he went from not being able to get poles to somehow managing to get the most poles in the season absolutely dominating the races so I, I, it was a tough one to say but I'm probably going to go with Norris yeah Norris is fair obviously he was elite at the start of the season uh, was ahead of Perez and Bottas I think for at stages as well during yeah the, at uh... least till at least round 12 I think I want to say 12, uh, 13 and definitely deserved fifth on the season. Again, two punctures from, I think, fourth place twice. Yeah. You say that all three of them deserve fifth or something. They based did, on that. yeah. You, they all had their own little quirks that sort of stopped them at some point. Verstappen's an interesting case because like, he did go from a driver that could win a race to you know, handling the pressure of being not just in the fastest car times, but the favourish the expected, you know, can this be the man to de, you know, to um, to take the crown from Lewis Hamilton and the Mercedes? The way he handled the pressure at his home, his very first home race, in you know a track that's not always easy to overtake, he had to navigate through Bottas. He took obviously a step from great to one of the greats. Yeah, that that's sort of what maybe include him in the conversation. Uh, I have Carlos Sainz though. Yeah, that that was the third choice for me because there was not really another person that really stood out for me. If we had done this back in 2019, he probably would have won that as well. He would have won it three years in a row if that was the case because he just seems to progress every season and I'm, I'm so interested to see what next season brings with him. So interested. Yeah, because now he's moved into this elite conversation as well. If you had him as yeah. upper echelon before, he's now in that, again, that Leclerc, Norris, Ricardo on his day kind of range, Gasly, Alonso, etc. Like, is this is where he's moving into. He's moving into, you know, a top, dare I say, top six kind of driver on the grid, depending how you feel about Russell and, and other people in other cars. Russell isn't in that conversation yet. Not a chance. Uh, yeah, I think you're right. I think he's not in that conversation quite he, yet. He's just, he needs the, a year in Mercedes to be in that conversation. Yeah, I, I agree. But this is where science is now. And, you know, 
coming from where he was like in 2016, 2017, and then 2018 as well. He was always a very good, solid driver, but threatened to be... I don't want to say the modern Hulkenberg, because Hulkenberg, of course, is, is modern, but, you know, threatened to be the nearly man, you know, the person who couldn't quite make that breakthrough, the person who was highly rated and, you know, people would have good things to say about, but not to the level of your Leclerc's and Ricardo's and Norris's, etc. But now, now he's there. He definitely is. And he deserves more respect. He really does. Because what he does goes unnoticed. And this season, you know, he showed that in, in full with a, in a, with a brand new team, and a team like Ferrari as well. Like, forget how bad they were in 2020. When you drive for Ferrari, forget outside expectations. Your own expectations are great because you expect greatness of yourself because you're at a great historical team. Yeah, exactly. And science has handled that absolutely superbly. So he's he's there. Hundred percent. I think this is our. Oh, not quite, no, not quite. We're not quite finished yet. Most improved team. Uh, is it worth saying anything else other than, other than Ferrari? Yeah, from where they were to where they are now, it's it's done absolutely unreal change. They were they finished. They had two hundred twenty-five and a half points to two hundred seventy-five to McLaren's at the end of the day. It was they weren't close, and in twenty twenty they finished in sixth. Yeah, and didn't look anywhere near where they are now. Convincingly sixth as well. They finished fifty points behind Renault, and just uh, just twenty four ahead of Alpha ahead uh, of uh, Alpha Tari. Yeah, you know, and one of those drivers was Danny Kvyat, who wasn't on the grid this year. So <laughs> make <laughs> so of that old, make it? of that what you will. You know, they could have easily just as easily been seventh. Yeah. So yeah, they've made strides. They've shown great improvements before regulation changes, which I think is really encouraging from their point of view. That what they are doing is correlating. Oh yeah, I think they're going in the right direction with Bonotto at the helm. Yeah, they just need a time to steady that ship. They their engine, the, the stuff with their engine obviously exposed their much more obvious flaws. Flaws that they have seemed to have done a much better job of addressing. Yeah. So I think they're in very good shape going forward. Again, they're going to be... Look, every team's going to be one to watch next year, but they are in particular going to be very interesting to watch. Oh, I beg. I beg. Um, any shout-outs for anyone else? Like, I I do think... Again, I think Mercedes Williams' position is a little bit, you know, uh, exaggerated compared to Alfa Romeo, who I actually thought showed much better improvement from last year, but it will never show in the standings. Yeah, because they went from definite back three teams to fighting in the points every now and again. So that's a big gap, a big gap to gain. Yeah, there's a great piece on the the race.com about why F1's most improved car had a poor season. And it talks about Alfa Romeo being that team. Uh, definitely worth a read. They finished seventh 11 times. Sorry, sorry. They finished 11th. 11 seven, seven times. Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> if they had finished... They would have got a lot more points. Yeah. <laughs> that was the case. They would have been up there with Aston Martin at that kind of race. But um talks about kind of... Uh, it's funny. Uh, sorry, who was it that wrote this? Um, oh, it doesn't actually give the 
the actual author's name isn't here. Well, surprising. Come on, the race. Give some credit to your to your writers. Uh, kind of talk about the, the some of the creative ways that Alfa Romeo kind of lost points this season. Because I said I said it in jest, <laughs> but yeah, like I look, I've been beaten on this for a while. They were they've deserved much more than ninth, and I again I really think since Coda they were up there for like seventh quickest car. They were they were they made good strides. Never properly. Never got, they were just unlucky with the season it was, I think. Like, their season ended really after Hungary. Like, that was the thing with the double points finish for Williams and the Tifi's ridiculous P6. Yeah, that sort of was the nail in the coffin, I think. And then Giovinazzi being shite in the race didn't really help. Yeah. Two big ones that got away from them being uh, Zandvoor, which wasn't Giovinazzi's fault, and then Italy, which was. Yeah. So... They had their chances, but yeah. But I, I would give them a, a shout out for most improved because they are, they were, but just just won't show for it. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to most disappointing driver. Now, there's a few you could go here. Uh, actually, quite a number. Mm. So we'll probably hit on all of them. But who was your most disappointing driver? Yuki. Yuki's no, actually Yuki's actually one of the few I actually did, was the one I actually didn't write on my list here. <laughs> he he was the one that stood out for me the most. You're probably right. I agree. Just based on the fact, I well, I held him in quite high regard going into the season. I mm. thought he'd at least give Gasly a good run for his money, and he, apart from probably four races, I can I can think of where he actually did something that was semi okay. And a couple where he was robbed, i.e. Mexico. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he just didn't really do the business for me. And I know it's his rookie season, and I know it's a lot to take on board, but I, I just expected a bit more, if I'm honest. Looking back, I think Sonoda could have easily have been, to 2021, what Lando Norris was in 2019. Like, a driver that wasn't as good as the champion of F2 that season, but Sony was still a very solid talent you could clearly see. Yeah. And Norris was able to show that in his first season. And he did a good car underneath him, as did Sonoda. And I'm with you. Like, it, I wasn't as high on Sonoda as you were, but there's no doubt that he deserved a shot in, in F1 and he deserved it over Kvyat. That was, I had no issues with that, but yeah, he has been... Uh, it has been a it's been a rough go over like I know yeah it's a tough environment to really thrive in given the Red Bull Junior stuff and how you're you're never really safe unless you reach a certain point right Gasly you could argue is safe at this stage everyone knows what he is but you know when you're coming in and you know you've got you know young drivers nipping at the at the heels on the junior and the Red Bull stables it's there's a lot of them. <laughs> there's, there's, and there's a lot of them. It's tough to it is tough to perform at times. And he's also look, he's also very young as well. And very small. So he he will look he's not at his physical peak. That's 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 for sure. <laughs> he's definitely not. <laughs> and you know, you to be the best that you can be in F one, you need to be that. And I don't think his body is at that point in its life just yet the other stuff you can learn as well as, as time comes but i wouldn't be surprised at all if just with an, just an extra year on his life in general that he would be much better next season but i do think yeah given what we saw on f2 it has been pretty pretty underwhelming to say the least yeah 
I, I have a good feeling who I know you was going to say. Uh, but just just final thing on Sinona, like there's Alfatari should have very easily finished fifth this season. Yeah, yeah. That, if they had two consistent performers like Gasly was, or just someone who finished like P eight, P nine every race, where that car should have been by rights every race because it was on direct pace. I think it was the fifth fastest car. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I just don't see how they've ended up behind Alpine and by quite a bit at that. It's, it, uh, it's just mainly because the second driver just wasn't up to the standard that he needed to be. He had 20 points on the year before Abu Dhabi, where he obviously got... He, he, a lot. He, he basically almost... He got half of his... More than half of his entire points haul heading in, like in, in one race, essentially. Yeah, and he was basically just yeah. the beneficiary of the of the safety car and the gamble to put on softs, and that's all that was. Twenty beforehand and twelve during the Abu Dhabi it takes him to twenty thirty two, left him two points behind Stroll, and about nineteen behind Vettel. But uh, there is a number of drivers you can go up and down that had disappointing seasons. Uh, Daniel Ricciardo maybe more prolifically, he won the race in Italy, deservedly so, but definitely had his issues getting on top of that car, but. We saw this at Renault as well, where he didn't settle in or at least got didn't hit the ground running and was by far and away one of the best drivers on the grid last season in 2020 with Renault in his second season there. I have no doubt that Ricardo will improve because he's got the pedigree, he's got the class. Like he said, it never left. Yeah. He, he was just, the, the first half of the season, I was egging him on constantly just to do, just to get back to somewhere where he was with Renault. And it didn't come until Monza, really. Hmm. He was okay in certain races, but other races he just didn't seem to uh, be great. And then the end of the season wasn't really anything to write home about. And I know Qatar was out of his control, and certain places he's not been, not really had the luck that others have had, but it's still not not been the best. Someone make a case for Sergio Perez not being as good as he could have been. He he. I, I feel that's a harsh one because he was conned out of a hell of a lot of podiums. Oh, yeah. Hell of a lot. So he he didn't do as well as I thought he would, but I don't think he had a bad season in that respect. I think he'll fare much better in year two, just given Oh, that, yeah, definitely. That car we know, that second Red Bull seat we know is... I was like, I don't want to say cursed, but... It's it's a very difficult car to drive because based on how Verstappen drives and every teammate he's had has struggled with way, the way that car is, has been generally built around him. Perez yeah, probably yeah. adapted to it the best that anyone has so far, as you would, might expect given his experience. Yeah, I, if there anyone out of the drivers that are available, he's the one that's going to adapt to it the best. And I, I think he... He, he really got to it, got to grips with it towards the end of the season. Qualifying, probably not so much, but that's never really been Perez's forte. Mm. So I can sort of tear that one off, but he shouldn't be getting knocked out in uh, Q2. <laughs> in yeah. So people will say him. Uh, Espen Ocon as well, kind of, you know, Ocon won the race yeah, yeah. In, in Hungary, but season was kind of eh. Got himself a three-year deal. For the first six races, <laughs> so. yeah, which is what we've mocked. Yeah, I've mocked. Should I say all, all year long? Yeah, he, he, Ocon 
apart from the win and the driving Qatar really didn't do anything this season to be honest I need a good driving Jeddah to be fair as well yeah uh, again better, probably better than his race winning drive as we yeah as said. Um, I, I'd have both Aston Martin drivers you mentioned Stroll I'd have both of them there to be fair Vettel had a good result in obviously in, in Baku and uh, you know deserved podium in Hungary but retrospectively was it was very clumsy at times from Vettel it was very average didn't you know we've seen drivers in cars outperform their car like Alonso would have a McLaren or you know a Leclerc a Ferrari last year I never really got the sense that Vettel was out driving what that Aston Martin should have been capable of yeah I, I agree with that but what are you meant to do when you're given a pile of shite to drive Graham at the same time <laughs> make better of it than being 43 yeah, points yeah, I know. Do you know? know. Um, just to, I guess, just to, yeah, I don't know. It, like, and Stroll, you know, was was it say for him? He's been in that stable for, well, this is year three, three? for him now, 19, yeah. 20, 21. And so I thought he'd made a right turn last season. And then this year, he's just gone completely backwards. I will say his qualifying has improved. He's made to Q3 more than a few times. But he also has got knocked out quite a few times. But <laughs> yeah, he's it's a, it's a, it's a it's a third time. It's maybe a fourth time in five that he's been beaten by teammates. Of course, the exception was Sergei Sorokin in twenty eighteen. <laughs> which you know, say what you will for that. I'm not even I even though where Sergei Sorokin races these days, apart from endurance, maybe with SM, SMP. He is definitely doing some of him with SMP. There's no no doubt about that. So. But, you know, obviously one season for Ciroc and, you know, Stroll is here. Now this is year five for him. He's still young. Obviously he entered in very, very young. But if he, again, we've talked about this. If he continues, he continues to be outclassed by his teammates, there's going to be a problem when that team does become, you know. A, if that team is a big team next year, then they have got a serious issue on their hands. If he's costing them millions and millions of pounds by not, bringing or helping them in their constructors battle then like what do you like something has to give here because ultimately it's ultimately it's a business whether his father is at the helm or not yeah and i would not like to be in lawrence's situation if the if that's the case it's gonna have to make a hard that, decision. Is not, that is not a conversation i want to be having with my son <laughs> sorry you're a bit shit so we're sacking you off <laughs> god uh, Valtteri Bottas was pretty poor at times. Now, he did finish third in the standings, but just... Yeah, but it should have been more convincing, though, surely. His bad races were bad. Do you know what I mean? Like... The, us- the usual Bottas scenario that we've got used to this season has a bad start, is out of position, and then just pisses around in the midfield. Like... Whereas if that's Max or Lewis, they were up and cleared it within 20 or 30 laps. And this year highlighted that more than any other year in the year where it's not like the 18 or 19 or 20 Mercedes where it's a much more dominant car. The field is closed up from that point of view. So your bad start is punished. Like you might not get past Lando Norris in the race. You might not get past Daniel Ricciardo, you know. Like, As he found quite a few times. Yeah. Especially in uh, Saudi Arabia where he was stuck behind Danny Rick for a long time. Mexico as well after that incident. Yeah. You know, maybe he had damage, but he's it, like it, his weaknesses were highlighted a lot more this year. 
his bad races were really low and ultimately no surprise that this was the year Mercedes finally decided to to uh, chop and change. Yeah, it was a much needed change, I think, mainly for them themselves. And of course, I think Bottas was about ready. I, I, I wouldn't like to admit that myself if I was one that I needed to leave a top team to go to a back market team. But I think it's the right right time for both to move on. I think I read somewhere that he was probably going to go regardless. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think he wanted another just one, one year. year of yeah, deal. Because I wouldn't. You want that security, don't you? It's, it's not something you want on the back of your mind where, oh, if I don't do this well this season, then they're probably going to sack me off. Mm. You want that job security, don't you? Uh, one more I have is Nikita Mazepin. Purely from the sense that I think one of my predictions before the season was that the Haas battle was going to be the closest on the grid. And heading in, and heading in from F2, like I've, I really didn't see why it wouldn't be because both were very competitive. They're going to both have the same machinery. They were pretty close in F2 at times, you know, not massively so. The gap between them in F1 has been so much greater than I could have ever possibly imagined. Schumacher won the race edge 16 to 2, out qualified in 20 to 2. They had no, um, obviously, Mazda had five DNFs, but had the worst of the results. And for that reason, still finished behind uh, Robert Kubica in the end, despite, uh, you know, committed to being in, in for just two races. The gap has been enormous. It's been sometimes it's been 30, 40 seconds. It's been seconds in qualifying. And I know there is some chassis stuff early on the season, but Mazepin is a much better driver than what his 2021 versus Schumacher has shown. They are much closer than that. And they certainly were much closer than that in F2. And I just don't know why it, he was so bad because he did have, he does have pace somewhere. We saw it in F2, clearly. Yeah, and I, I, do, I just think it's the uncertainty of that car. Like, for me, if I was driving that car and it went randomly, I would have the constant fear if I push too much that it's going to end up in the barrier. And that would live with me and I'd rather trickle around and blooming put it in the wall because I'm going to be last regardless type thing do you think Nikita Masman's the type that is struck by fear he's a he's a human at the end of the game Graham it's, it's I, I think it's definitely a factor I I don't see there is I don't see another explanation apart from him just being shite and I know that's not right yeah I, I can like like that's why I have him as a disappointment because I expected more of him. Yeah, yeah. So I thought I'd throw that one in there anyways. But quite a few that were kind of eh this season. So Yeah, there's a lot of good ones and a hell of a lot of shit ones as well. Yeah, like we didn't even talk about like Giovinazzi or the Tifi or, you know. Yeah, we're not even going to mention them. <laughs> um, this is my last one anyways. I'm not sure if you have a few throw in ones. I don't have any more. Most disappointing team. This might be the most unanimous we could ever be. There, there is no conversation that even warrants an answer that differs from this. And I'm sure we're going to say the boys in green. And if you say something else, I'm going to be so pissed off with you. <laughs> <laughs> I could have been so shite. I couldn't even say anything else as a joke. <laughs> you know, it could yeah, only be Aston Martin. 
you, you've riled me up just by bloody saying it. <laughs> I I have a hatred for how bad they've been this season. Absolutely dis oh so disheartening sometimes to see how they were winning races last year and in five of podiums and then can't even beat Blumin Alvatari and get less points than Fernando Alonso on his own. <laughs> for God's sake. Yeah, 81 points from Alonso to Aston Martin, 77. But yeah, they're going to win the title next season. <laughs> sure. Sure. There's a, there's a great piece on therace.com from Mark Hughes about why F1's green Mercedes tumbled backward in 2021. Uh, a lot in this. Uh, there's a lot in it. Uh, team, I'm going to read expert, excerpts from this. We can piece some stuff together. The team drops from third fastest in the performance league table to seventh with nothing like the resource or experience of the concept to make the same recovery from the regulation changes as Mercedes. Of course, this refers to the low rake, high rake kind of uh, uh, philosophies in the midst of the floor changes for this this season. Of course, this was something that Aston Martin complained about. They threatened to protest about uh, which was all just, I imagine, just an affront for uh, Lawrence Stroll's anger as to why they were so slow and why both cars were knocked out in Q1 in, in Bahrain. <laughs> yes. Uh, it averaged an average, sorry, it qualified an average of around one second off the Mercedes pace, but more critically, more than half a second off rivals such as Ferrari, McLaren, and AlphaTauri, seeing it tumbling down the grid. Rivals? Don't do shite. <laughs> Um, from a competitive point of view, it was an unfortunate time for Sebastian Vettel to be joining, but the team feels it has benefited enormously from his presence in terms of it, of building its structure for the future. Mm-hmm. The car's biggest losses from the floor cut... Uh, sorry, the car's biggest losses from the floor cut and the regulation limitations around the rear of the car were in high-speed corners. Consequently, any circuit placing more emphasis on slow corners would see the car at its least bad, and Vettel's perform- best performances came in Monaco, Azerbaijan, and Hungary, where he was respectively fifth, second, and second, though he was disqualified at the Hungarian for not having enough fuel in the tank to give a sample. Uh, but for a pit stop delay, he would likely have undercut Esteban Ocon that day and crossed the line the winner. Maybe it was as well. He didn't, as losing the win surely would hurt more than second place. I, I do agree with that sentiment. And that it's, I'm glad Ocon won on track rather than he inherited it from a disqualified Vettel. Yeah, that that wouldn't have been the same, would it? It wouldn't have given the same uh, uh, emphasis, I would like to say. Yeah, the same feeling. Uh, the car was able to use the swept-back rear suspension of the 2020 Mercedes without any token spend, and that at least helped reclaim some aero performance, as did the token spend on the front of the chassis to open a better airflow route around the radiators, but not enough to overcome the losses from the reg change. We lost one between one and a half and two seconds, asserts, and uh, I think it's uh, Green, which refers to Andy Green, uh, Andrew Green, I guess more commonly known as, <laughs> which is the, uh, I believe he is the uh, the aero man in charge at Aston Martin. We clawed about, and we only clawed back about half of that. So yeah, uh, this was one of the few cars on the grid which usually qualified slower than its predecessor in using generally higher rear wing levels to compensate for the downforce reduction from the underfloor, the car tended to be quite slow on the straights too. 
And we had a rear end that was effectively homologated, says Green. We couldn't raise the car. We were effectively locked in. But all of our simulations and all of our analysis was saying, we've just got to lift the car back up again and we'll get out of this region. We were locked into a solution because we were effectively required to move early across to 2022. If we had another season of these regulations, I'm, sh- I'm more than confident we'd have developed our way out of it and got more of the performance back again. And uh, Mark Hughes notes that the last aero upgrade went on the car, Paul Ricard, in June. Yeah. So a lot of insight. You know, that, that's, that's on the race.com from uh, Mark Hughes. A lot of insight as to why Aston Martin were so deplorably bad compared to 2020 and versus expectations. Not helped, of course, by their driver lineup. But yeah, a lot of technical stuff going on as well with uh, the regulation changes not helping in their <laughs> in their quest to get out of their their 2021 hole no it's just embarrassing i think in many ways it might be the 2020 ferrari in some ways Um, yeah just not on as big a scale i don't think so another quote from green we are definitely taking the opportunity to learn and to make ourselves a better team so that when we when we do emerge from this and we are back into the performing area we truly believe we are going to come out of this as a better team so Hmm. Sure. Sometimes things okay. get worse before they get better, as we saw Ferrari, yeah. and maybe we'll see with Aston Martin. We'll, we we will see. Hopefully not. <laughs> no, don't want it to happen. I actually kind of hope they're at the front, just because I think their driver line won't cash in on it. Yeah, saying that, yeah, then it'll be funny to start. And then we the might get you. Know, we might see some driver change for the next year, but or mid season or after the first race. <laughs> Could you imagine? <laughs> That'd be hopeful. That would be insane. Lawrence Stroll's like, get out of the car, Lance. I'm getting in. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. But, yeah, that's um, that's our most disappointing team. And it was a landslide. <laughs> a Lance slide. Uh, get it? Very uh-huh. good. So... That was our uh, twenty F1 2021 awards. There's a lot there that we probably didn't cover, but such was the season that was in it that uh, hard to do so without going for like four hours. Well, we've gone for two nearly now. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. Listen, man, there was a lot of content this season. A lot of hashtag content. So, speaking of that, mm. do, do you want to read out how many hours of content we uh, we partook up? We... we absolutely bellied out well i i know because i sent it to you but read it to me anyways we have spent 2325 minutes not including this podcast no. talking about shite what does that equate to in hours slash days <laughs> so if we could do the quick math 38.75 hours it's up day and a half yeah just over <laughs> That's mad. That is mad. But at the same time, this is episode, I think, 43 or 44. Yeah. Of and the... we've been doing it since, like, 14th of March? February or so? Or late, late February kind of range? Yeah. It was around then, wasn't it? So we're, like, we're almost up to 52 weeks, like, you know, so. And we've not took a break. No, this would be, this might be the closest we get to it because, as you spoiled earlier, recording in advance, so. Yeah, so, because we're, we're too busy over Christmas to do this, and mm. it's quite a self-explanatory podcast, this one. Yeah, pretty much. But um, well, there's plenty more to come. 
Uh, and next pod will be the new year, and we'll look back on our 2021 predictions. And well, I have feeling I'm gonna have a great time poking fun at you more so than you at me. But hey, don't f- poke fun at the Mr. Bold that I was back in back in February or March, mm-hmm. whenever it was. <laughs> You'll have some splaining to do. I will. I will. <laughs> right, unless you've oh, God. anything else to add before we wrap up? No, I do not. I think so. I think we're, we're good. That's going to do it for this episode of the Switchback Formula One podcast. I've been Graham. I've been... Um, I don't know, actually. Who have I been? Oh, my... Sorry. I've been the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> And I wish you all a Happy New Year, speaking of that. Yes, uh, Happy New Year indeed. And we shall see you on the other side of it. Until, uh, yes. until next time. Goodbye.